gathered together. God, it is the start of a year and um, we're just excited about what we expect that you will do in our lives and in this place, uh, in our church and what you do in and through us as we uh, feed on your word and, and live our lives in this community. God, we just, uh, at the very start of this time, as the rain is pouring down, we just say, Lord, rain on us. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us, overflow uh, in us this year. And God, as we uh, commit time out this week to pray, we just say, Lord, would you empower us? Would you change us? Would you help us to just uh, live every day for your glory? And God, thank you for the years that we still have before us. And we just want to say, God, uh, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth. We want to remember you right now. And we want to live every day for you, knowing that you are the one who lived and died and came uh, to save us. We've received that good news. And we just want to live it and share it and help as many as we can come to know that too. So God, we're here, we're surrendered as we come to just continue worshipping you now. Be glorified in this place. Amen. very much. Any sound? It's good. It's very good. It's great to be here. Ah, gee, do you get humbled sometimes when you, when you're singing praise to God and you just go, oh my goodness me, he's amazing. (laughs) He's amazing, isn't he? Right, let's see what happens, eh? Um, Last week we uh, heard Jesus say uh, these words. If you weren't here, just a slight recap. Um, he said, if anyone would come follow me, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's a very strong passage, very powerful, very truth-telling. And we heard Jesus say, basically, that they have the most purposeful life. We must surrender our life to following him. And this means dying to living for ourselves first, to leave the old way of life behind and just turn and begin this journey of surrendering each day and following after our Saviour Jesus. Tonight we're beginning a series in the Gospel of John and uh, we're not starting with the very beginning. We're going to start uh, at verse 19 from chapter 1. But this Gospel is John's account and um, some significant moments of Jesus' life are recorded. See, John lived with Jesus. He ate with him. He walked with him. He laughed and talked with him. He cried with him. And so for those of us who want to follow Jesus, uh, or want to know what it is to follow Jesus, the way we can enjoy the most fullest life possible, if we want to find out more, we've got to study his life. So John's gospel is going to be brilliant. We actually look at Jesus and uh, see what he did and look at what he did. So 
It's going to be awesome to come here. I reckon it's uh, really important that we revisit our image of who we think Jesus is. Um, what, we th- what we personally think Jesus is on about. Because we want to make sure that we're actually following Jesus. Um, not following the image that we have created and formed Jesus into. Um, formed a, a little Jesus that the one we follow might not be actually who he really is. So we come back to the word and we let the word critique our understanding of who he is. Um, so we're going to read, if you've got your Bibles there, um, it's John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Um, and if you haven't got your Bibles, that's fine. Um, but if, you, if you're a regular to church here, it's, like, it's a great thing to like, bring your Bibles along. So you can read along and you can say, Phil is a hypocrite. That's a lie. That's not right. You, can, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You can critique it. Anyway, where's John? Let's find it. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Next week, James Punton is going to preach. That's right, beads of sweat. I can see him rolling down his face now. It's great, isn't it, to see um, new people preach and to encourage them uh, as they begin in that area as well. So let's be great encouragement to James next week. Um, So from verse 19, uh, it's titled, John the Baptist Denies Being the Christ. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. They asked him, are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent, um, who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Anticipation. Anticipation. If you've ever um, gone to hear a, or watch a rock concert, a theatrical production, the Philharmonic Orchestra, before the main event, there is like anticipation. You're in your seat or you're standing at your vantage point 
and you wait with expectation. The main event that has drawn you here. You read about it, you read about it in the newspaper or on the internet or somewhere. You may have seen an advertisement on TV that was telling you that they were coming. Or maybe you heard it from a friend and your friend heard about out of by overhearing someone else's conversation. The anticipation is electrifying because you know how good they are and you've been waiting for so long. Anticipation. Now, if you were to imagine yourself living in the time of tonight's reading, you would also be in a state of anticipation. Your heart, your mind, body, longing for the arrival of something. Only this anticipation, it's not for great entertainment. No, this anticipation is for freedom from oppression, for freeing, for rescuing, the eager longing for liberation and life. You see, we're the Jewish people of the day um, had in their history times where um, they had a leader who had power and dominion and authority over the other nations. When their kings ruled with wisdom and might and blessing and wealth was their order of the day, now, in the time of Jesus, it was not. Now, it was another nation that oppressed them, the Romans who had defeated them and were dominating them. And before the Romans, it was the Greeks and then the Persians. For around 500 years, it was foreign occupation and oppression. And before that, the Jewish people were taken off by a foreign country, foreign power, into exile. So at this point in history, the desire, the longing, the craving for freedom was growing every day. Foreign oppression. But there was this seed of hope that implanted long ago. And as the people's ability to exist under such extreme oppression became less and less, some words of old, some seeds of hope began to form a sense of anticipation for future liberation. The words of a prophet, a prophet's words some 700 years earlier. It was the prophet Isaiah speaking the very words of God. He said, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years earlier, in the midst of the oppression, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. These words speak of the one God would anoint with his power and his wisdom to change things, to bring in a new world order for the Jewish people, God's anointed person for the job. In Hebrew, the person was known as the Messiah. In Greek, God's anointed was called the Christ. 
And it wasn't just the prophet Isaiah who foretold this event some 700 years before. It was many other people and voices of God as well. The people were anticipating the arrival of the Christ, longing for the moment he would come and restore a kingdom of righteousness and justice to free them, to redeem them from oppression. Anticipation. I wonder today, is there anticipation? A longing for freedom, for redemption from captivity, from oppression. Is there anticipation for a Messiah or not? Is there anticipation? Is there any anticipation for someone that will will come and bring us hope of freedom? It's not really obvious. It's not really like people are talking about it. Not really the thing we hear whispered and talked about in the coffee shops of Aubrey or the pubs of Wodonga. When's the Messiah coming? There's a bit of a difference between their culture and ours. Ours is one of affluence and plenty, not poverty. Ours is one of great stability, not instability. Our government enables us great freedom. They don't oppress us like the Romans were doing to the Jewish people. But even in our culture, there are things that hold us captive things that oppress us. Perhaps you right now, where you're sitting, maybe there's something that you know about right now, that thing that oppresses you. Maybe it's something um, that's harder to articulate. You know, you can't personally understand it. You just know it's there. Something that if we are honest with ourselves, we struggle with, we held captive, we feel we're held captive by. And in our culture, our oppressor can be Wealth, workaholism. We can be held captive to body image, that we should look like someone we're not. We could be held captive by addiction or by fear of failure or by a fear of not being loved. We could be held captive by not believing we're valued. Our oppressor might be sin. You might feel ultimately held captive by the reality of your death, that's going to come one day. Perhaps if we were to stop for just a minute and think and reflect about our lives, we might even be forced to groan with frustration. To actually, if we were to think hard, sigh in exasperation that we're not free at all. And there are parts of us we would love if there was a Messiah. Someone that God might anoint and provide us a way for freedom, Christian, non-Christian. People, could there be such a one? Could the one the Jewish people were anticipating be for me, be for you, our Messiah? Let's take a look at the first few verses. Verse 19 says, This was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. 
Now, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why don't you baptize if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? So I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me. The thongs of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Preparation. Where the Jewish people were in a state of anticipation, John the Baptist, his role is one of preparation. Now, John the Baptist was a fella that wore clothing of camel's hair. He lived in the wilderness near the Jordan River, and his diet was, 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 was of whatever bush tucker he could get his hands on. Locusts, grasshoppers, wild honey. He was a crazy figure. We learn from the other gospel of Mark that he was in the middle of nowhere. He was baptizing people. He was preaching to them a baptism of repentance for the, for the forgiveness of sin. Like Duncan people, people would come out and he'd baptize them, put them under the water and bring them up saying, you know, we're washing you clean in the water. You know, you're saying you're repenting, we're going to wash you for the symbolism in baptism. And people started coming to him from all over the shop because they were full of anticipation. They were fully hoping, man, the arrival of God's anointed one. Where is he? Run out to the wilderness. There's someone out there. It's important for us to know that in this high feeling of anticipation for God's anointed one, there was a bit of confusion about who the anointed one actually was. Because there are other people who um, kind of got on the vibe of the anticipation and would actually tell people that they were sent from God. And they weren't. And people would get confused and they'd go and follow whoever it was. And there must have been confusion um, from the Jewish leadership back in Jerusalem. So they send delegates. They send people out to him to get to the bottom of who this fella is and why he's baptising and preaching to people. So the delegation comes up. Are you the Christ? And John emphatically says, no. They say, are you the Elijah? You see, because the thought was that um, before the coming of the Lord, the God's anointed one, that God would send them one like Elijah. And John goes, no. They ask him, well, are you the prophet? And there was also another expectation that um, in the end times, there would be the arrival of a prophet-like person. John said, no. John says, if you want to know who I am, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, the one who predicts the arrival of the anointed one. And he says, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Or in other versions, prepare the way for the Lord. John's role, preparation. To help people prepare for the coming of the Lord, the coming of God's anointed one. John says, don't worry about me. I'm just a guy pointing to the one, to the Christ. I baptise with water, John replies. But among you stands one you don't know, do not know. He's the one that comes after me. The thongs or the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John is not to be confused with the one true Messiah. He's there to point people toward him, to prepare the way. I'm not the Christ. I'm preparing for him. John is like the supporting act. If you've been to the concert and before the main event, you have a supporting act. They might be good, but they're nothing on the main event. And their role is to support. It's to precede the main event, to help people get in the mood for the who's about to come for the main guys. 
John's saying, don't get confused. I'm not him. I'm not the main event. I'm just proceeding. I'm helping people get ready. With a desire for freedom from captivity, there's a great risk of getting confused, of putting your hope in something that can't ultimately help you at all. It may appear to work for a time, but ultimately it will prove hopeless. I was talking to a great friend of mine. They attended a festival called the Rainbow Serpent Festival. Has anyone heard of that? A few people. I, don't th- I think it was last weekend. It could have been the weekend before. This festival is like a massive alternative lifestyle festival. It's a massive party attracting around 7,000 people to it. It's, near, uh, it's at Beaufort. It's like a trance rave party. And uh, for some, the excitement is enhanced by and twisted by magic mushrooms, marijuana, ecstasy, whatever kind of drug tickles your fancy. The festival um, also advocates the importance of looking after the environment, of being one, being in harmony with the environment you live in. And it also advocates the importance of respecting each other, of loving each other. In the event, it's deeply spiritual, with most forms of spirituality being kind of in the stall over here, in the marquee, and you can kind of just, everything's, most things are present. You know, all are welcome, whatever you want, that's fine. This friend of mine was saying, just some amazing words that come from their mouth. She had an amazing experience. So it's just amazing, deeply spiritual. The people were so pure, so loving, so accepting. This friend, she was moved. And I look at it, and I can actually see, hopefully not blasphemous, elements of what God loves. Caring for his planet. Loving people. Respecting people. There are other aspects that are false, and they are behaving like false messiahs. They offer promises of hope that are actually empty. There's only one true spirituality, and that's from God the Father who offers us forgiveness in Jesus' name and a life empowered by his Holy Spirit. Now, we shouldn't be too quick to think it's just the rainbow serpent that is the false messiah, as clear and obvious that that may be to some of us. Because I reckon we might have our own false messiahs. We might be a bit confused as to what's going to set us free. What is it for you, I wonder? Have you got a false messiah in your life? That you're trusting in a false Christ? Don't be confused. Don't be lured into false messiahs. Don't settle for a supporting act. Let's continue. If you've got your Bibles there, let's um, look at the next section from verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing him with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. 
I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me that the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Anticipation, preparation, this is revelation and confirmation. Catchy, huh? Not really. The very next day, John sees a man called Jesus and he says, this is it. This is the one. It's not me. It's him. This is God's anointed one. The revelation of God's anointed one. The one that 700 years beforehand, Isaiah prophesies about that the people are hoping for. This is the one who is going to usher in a new kingdom that will be marked by justice and righteousness. Revelation. It's actually been revealed. This is a profound moment in history. The revelation of the world. The history of the world, not just that small group of people. They've been talking about it for so long. And then it's like, just in case... You uh, or we might think that Jesus is wacky, another wacky false messiah, and he's cashing in on all the false messiah hope or all the messiah hope. He is confirmed to be real by two people or by two. It's been a full quid, the fair nickel messiah. Firstly, John, he says, Here's my witness, this is the one. And then, secondly, the Spirit of God. So, John. Um, gives a testimony. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove. <clears throat> I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me that the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is who he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. God's saying, my Spirit confirms who is the real Fanning and Messiah. And again, the prophet Isaiah, he said that that's, that's how you're going to know. You're going to know who the real one is it's my spirit is going to confirm that. And then in other accounts, it's not just God's Holy Spirit that confirms it. If you read in um, the other Gospels, at the time of the baptism, John hears a voice from God, the Father. And the Father's voice says, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So it's the Spirit of God and the Father God who confirm and testify that this is their son, that this is the anointed one. Revelation and confirmation. So we see that the people, their anticipation is not in vain, nor do we see that John the Baptist, his preparation wasn't in vain. The Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, revealed and confirmed as being the person. The main event has arrived on stage, and those who know the performer confirm it as being true. The crowd's Roar. The excitement is thick in the air. This sends goosebumps through your body. Let the show begin. It seems, though, that some aspect of the, part, the anticipation of the people, though, was actually in vain. So here's your Messiah. Yes, the right Messiah. John, yes. But their expectation of the Messiah was a bit odd. The majority of people... They thought that the Messiah was going to come and free them from physical oppression. They thought the Messiah was was going to be like a mighty warrior, like King David. 
that like King David, the Messiah would come and basically squash the other nations, swap them to the ground and reinstate um, Israel as being the, the dominant nation. And Jesus didn't do this. It's like the show begins. And the sound you long for to come bursting through those speakers, what you're expecting, that sound is different. Some other weird sound. Like you've been hankering for your favourite band and then your ears are met by the sound of the wiggles. (laughs) Instead of a warrior king ready to wield his sword to bring freedom for the captives, it's a suffering servant. It's Jesus who lives a life that climaxes with his death and resurrection. A song of love that just doesn't make sense. They wanted freedom from physical oppression, where Jesus, his mission was to free them from something much greater. John declared it. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Messiah, God's Son, comes to free people from captivity to sin and the eternal death that sin results in. What is holding you captive now? What do you want freedom from? What do you think the Messiah will do for you? I mean, what are your expectations of what God wants to do in your life? The Messiah Jesus, the one that was revealed and confirmed to be true by God, the one that died on the cross and rose to life, the one that sits enthroned right now as the King of Kings, he's available with a prayer right now. But the first thing he longs for is that you will be set free from the sin that continues to separate you from God. The rest of your problems, the rest of my problems, the rest of the world's problems stem from the problem of sin and people's rejection from God. That is sin, people's rejection of God. It all stems from that. I wonder if what we understand is holding us captive is in actual fact what the Messiah wants to set us free from. Jesus revealed It confirmed as being God's anointed one, and he has come to set us free. He addresses the root problem. He wants to break that chain that truly holds you. I have on many occasions walked barefoot, and uh, I stand on something that sticks in my foot. It's quite frustrating. Anyone... You know, kind of relate to that. Frustrating pointy things on the ground. Yep. Maybe a splinter of wood or a thorn just goes in my foot. I try and get it out. Sometimes it works. Other times, kind of bit stays in my foot. It's really frustrating because it hurts. It hurts too much to get it out. And it hurts because it's still in my foot. Bit of a dilemma, right? Every time I put weight on... On the spot, it's like, eh, just reminding me, sore foot, splinter in my foot. 
Now, I can medicate the pain, right? I can get some seriously good drugs and just go, yep, can't feel that. I can focus on something else that takes my mind away. I can even stop walking. Put my feet up. Go, ah, there's less pain. None of the remedies, though, is that good because I'm ultimately held captive by the pain of the splinter. Yeah? We all know that there is an origin to my pain. It's the splinter. If I want no pain, splinter's got to go. Jesus knew this about captivity. And if the world, if all people want to be ultimately completely free, I'm not saying it's like that, but ultimately, sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to go. God's anointed has um, come. And he offers us freedom from the origin of our captivity. From the very root, the very source of it. Freedom and the means to begin, to begin a life as liberated from sin. A freedom that will bring the world a more full and complete existence. For us, the application is very simple. We either choose to repent of our sin. I'll say that again. The option is we either choose to repent of our sin, put our faith in Jesus, that he died on the cross for us, and follow him. We either do that, or we choose to continue to be held captive by sin. Captivity that will ultimately lead to death, eternal hell, and separation from God. What is your choice today? Upon seeing Jesus, John exclaimed, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Messiah longs for your repentance and faith, for mine, for the world's. True freedom is found with him. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, um, we know that just from the words of our, your uh, faithful servant, John, that uh, true freedom is found in, in Jesus. That true freedom is found when we have uh, our sin conquered and dealt with. Father, we know that even as Christians, we struggle on a daily basis with sin, with that which uh, plagues us, Lord, but we know also that we are not held captive to it anymore through faith in Jesus' name. But the words you speak over the one who puts faith in you is free. Through faith in Christ, they are your child. They are liberated. Through faith in Christ, they have an eternal hope. And Father God, I just pray that for each and every one of us in this building tonight, that you would help us repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may begin living as free 
and with the ability to deal with our sin through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work you've achieved on the cross. Father God, would you plague us? Would you plague, uh, kind of just really stick with those of us who are yet to put our faith in you, Jesus? Father God, I pray that um, you would help us put our faith in you, that we may know what this freedom is that last, that begins now and moves into eternity. Perfect fellowship with you, God. Father, I pray that your spirit would do a great work. Lord Jesus, I pray that where there is unconfessed sin in our lives as Christians, Father God, for those of us who kid ourselves that we're following you when we, we are being convicted of sin yet denying it, Lord Jesus, I pray for those of us who are doing that, that you would just, by the power of your spirit, enable us to humbly come before you and ask for forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we long to be a people that is um, confessing our sin before you and, and, and living in forgiveness through faith in Christ. We long to be a people who are just making a massive impact in this world, are set free to live for you, no longer bound by the accusations of the evil one. Father God, do a great work, we pray, beginning now. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.